We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 8, Desperate Souls. The original air date of this episode was January 8th, 2012. This episode was written by Jane Espenson, thank God. The director was Michael Waxman. His directing credits include Chicago Med, Nashville, The Blacklist, Touch, and Friday Night Lights. This is his only Once Upon a Time credit. The title card features a hooded figure on a horse with a lit torch. Stylistically, it looks like the Headless Horseman from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. We open on a very human and impoverished Rumpelstiltskin at his spinning wheel when his <laughs> young son, Bellfire, bursts into their hovel, claiming that the soldiers have come for his friend, Moraine. They go outside and watch helplessly as a young girl is taken by knights against her will to fight in the Ogre Wars on behalf of the Duke, the ruler of the front lands where they live. Here comes Benny the Vampire, here to be mean to peasants. Rude Benny. Benny, why? Is, is, that, is that from Buffy? It's no, actually supernatural. supernatural. Oh. He was one of the only good things in one in like the later seasons of Supernatural. Yeah, he was in like season eight, so he was like in the last season vampire. we watched. We were yeah. like Southern vampire that Dean met in hell, and maybe they did gay stuff. And he was like a boat captain. I don't know. He was yeah. actually a great character. I really liked him. I have never seen a single episode of Supernatural, and I don't plan on to. But every time someone opens their mouth and tells me like a little factoid about it, just as you two did. Like, it just sounds so wild. He, he was much better than that show or that season deserved. It's true. Bellfire informs his father that the Duke has lowered the conscription age to 14. Moraine's parents draw a knife and attempt to reclaim their daughter, but are frozen and subdued by a spell cast by the Dark One, a man on a horse in the distance. Rumpelstiltskin's son worries that he'll be taken next as his birthday is in three days' time. Rumpelstiltskin vows to find another way. Okay. Single dad Uncle Stolson still gets my motor going. Dirt and all. I don't care. <laughs> also, Dylan Schmid as young Balefire is perfectly precious. Like, he is such a good little actor. He's got like these incredibly expressive eyes. And I don't know. He just like, I mean, he carries a lot of emotional weight for, for a young lad. And I think he does it pretty well. And he's yeah. definitely got like a perfect a perfect sad puppy yeah yeah like, uh, like protect him <laughs> yes please protect him at all costs <laughs> like we're him. all we're all immediately on Rumpelstiltskin's side like yes protect this Just puppy protect at me. all costs protect boy. and conscription is a horrible thing and you can really feel the fear of war and classism permeating this really heartbreaking scene back in Storybrooke Emma pays a visit to Mr. Gold's shop after he had called the sheriff's department <laughs> I love this scene because she just goes gold you in here? And then we cut to him in the back, like, workroom, and he's like, well, it is my shop, like, under his <laughs> breath. Like, I, it's just classic sassy Rumpelstiltskin, and I really love him. Emma finds him in the back of his shop working with lanolin, a natural oil from the wool of sheep. And yes, I had to Google it and turn on the subtitles because I didn't hear what he said. <laughs> and then I Googled it and had to figure it out. There is uh, no shame in Googling. He wants to express his condolences about Sheriff Stupid Handsome Graham. He notes that she still is wearing her deputy badge, but as it has been two weeks since Graham's passing, Emma will have to wear the sheriff badge because it's an automatic promotion. She says she's not in a hurry and turns to go. As he had been Graham's landlord, Mr. Gold offers Emma a keepsake from Graham's apartment. 
he insists that she take a look through his things before they go to the trash. Oh, God, that's so sad. Mm -hmm. Emma resists taking anything. Mr. Gold persuades her to take a set of walkie-talkies, saying that she can play with Henry. He reminds her that time with her child is precious. That's the thing about children, he says. Before you know it, you lose them. So, I mean, I'm definitely not on the thirst wagon that Chell is, but I'm going <laughs> to have to give you that Mr. Gold being like, take the walkie-talkies, you can play together, is actually really adorable. It is. <laughs> like, it honestly warmed my heart. I was like, oh, he just wants you to have a good relationship with your son. He's really cute. Gave me honest feelings. <laughs> yeah, we don't really see Mr. Gold, like, interacting with other children like because there's just not like a whole like a whole slew of children in this cast but he does clearly have like a soft spot for them yeah and I feel like and I feel like especially since as it comes up later in the episode Henry obviously has like a fear of Mr. Gold I feel like this is his way of being like this is how I can interact with this child yeah like I can see I could see vicariously that. I'll I'll give this to Emma and she can play with him and that's that's like vicariously me getting to interact with him yeah because i, I, I see my own kid that's really sweet oh my feelings i know my oh god that hit me in the filios <laughs> like i don't know i have i actually got a lot of feelings about that scene and robert carlisle's just like very because his tone his tone greatly shifts when he's just like take them for the boy yeah, yeah. he's kind of yeah. soft oh. in this episode he, he has some softness yeah. in it yeah yes especially in this scene and there's like no yeah ulterior motive at all like when he's like handing her the walkie-talkies no, and he, talking he, about he, henry like he, he genuinely nothing. wants her to have a good relationship with henry he, he gains nothing by giving her toys to play with henry with like it's 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 an out of character selfless act it's very soft yeah it's you can tell he like i don't know he actually he feels bad about this the situation kind of genuinely yeah genuinely yeah like and there's like, there's a de definitely like I feel like a few points in this episode that as much as like he never outright says it like you can tell like he has like a look Emma I'm pulling for you and the kid yeah oh yeah for sure oh for sure yeah like he doesn't flat out say the words but he's definitely like I got you yes you're, th you're the one I'm betting on yeah you are the you are my horse in this race exactly. yeah absolutely <laughs> and you have been since conception but he couldn't tell he can't tell her that <laughs> you're you're my horse in the Henry race <laughs> Um, oh god uh him going through poor graham's box and just picking things out for emma it really reminded me of the trash lady from <laughs> labyrinth <laughs> oh, no, and just being like lady. here's your betsy boo you love your betsy boo like trying to pile on these things on emma to make her happy let me pile material possessions on you till you're not sad anymore <laughs> Like, I feel you, Mr. Gold. I do that too. Yeah, you do. You do it to me constantly. I'm like, no, be sad. No, be squishable. Sad. Pretty much. Emma meets Henry at the seaside play castle, where she gives him his walkie talkie for Operation Cobra. Henry tells Emma that they should stop messing with the curse for a while, given what happened to Graham. Emma insists that Graham died of natural causes. Natural, my fucking foot. Mm. Mm. Angry humming. Marge, Mar our, our disapproving Marge. Grown. I know we all just are disapproving Marge right now. Mm. <laughs> Henry says that's fine for her to believe, as it will stop her from messing with the curse and getting killed. Henry says that good always loses because good always has to play fair, and evil doesn't. She's evil, he adds, referring to Regina. You don't want to upset her anymore. 
That like lonely end shot of Emma alone on the castle playground with like the two walkie talkies is so lovely. And just poor Henry for thinking that basically everything he's been working for, like trying to break this curse, like got Graham killed. And that's so much for a child to deal with. Also, poor Henry is like the only one who is wise to Regina's shit. Someone please listen to my soft child. It's really sad that Henry is wary of Mr. Gold because I feel like if Henry knew who Mr. Gold was, well, maybe not if he knew, probably not. (laughs) He would probably still stay far away. But like, I feel like if they, if he had a, a more trusting relationship with Mr. Gold, he could just like go to Mr. Gold and be like, I have this theory and be like, yo, <laughs> this is what I think is going on with Regina. And yes, I think- Can you please anyone... stop my mom from killing people? Please, please, please put an end to this. I cannot deal with it. I will make a deal with you. <laughs> what I do you want? Like, I'm 11, I... I don't have much. You can have my micro machines, I guess. I got some comic books. <laughs> I got some comic books, yeah. Got some comic books. I got this book with really ugly pictures. <laughs> I can swipe my teacher's credit card again if you yeah. really need it. Do you, do you want to know who your mother is? Because I can charge that. Oh, God. God, that would save us all so much time and effort. Like, I'm like, I wonder where Henry's bias against Mr. Gold comes from. I'm assuming it's Regina because Regina's like always a shit to him. But that's um, kind of what I'm assuming because like Regina basically yells at anyone who will listen to be like, oh, don't you trust Mr. Gold? So probably yeah. like one time he crossed the street near Henry and she was like, don't you trust that man? And he was just like, well, mom, okay. And then everybody like is like openly kind of hostile to him. So because like he's like their landlord and I'm just like, okay, you know. I'm positive um, it was Regina because what is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> like that's, that's my take on once upon well, a time. I guess he did try I'm to steal that Regina, baby. He did try to buy a baby. Uh, he did try, he did try to buy a baby, <laughs> I guess. That's true, for yeah. the children closet. <laughs> oh yes. That's probably why. Because he was fine oh, with yeah. Mr. Gold at the beginning of that episode. Okay, yeah. I think I think That's the baby true. thing, yeah, probably he yeah. He doesn't he approve like, of people hoarding babies. He doesn't approve of having a closet full of children. But yeah. then again, he was the one who did say to, to Emma, like, you don't wanna be make in debt, a, oh, yeah. make a deal with Mr. Gold or That's be in true. debt to him. So he already knew like about like, don't make deals with him. And that's that's definitely a Regina thing. Like you don't make deals with him. Yeah, you know? so I'm coming, that's, I think ultimately I come back to my stance of, I'm sure it's Regina, cause it's what Regina. isn't? Yeah, <laughs> true. Back at the office, Emma is about to clip on the real sheriff's badge, but Regina stops her. She says she's going to appoint Sydney Glass from the newspaper as sheriff. Emma tells Regina that she cannot stand that things have been have gotten better. Insulted, Regina insists that Emma does not have the right to wear Graham's badge. Emma claims that Graham freed the sheriff's office from her leash, and Regina is not getting it back. Regina fires Emma and swipes Graham's sheriff badge as she marches out. Stop, Regina. You literally killed him. You killed him. Just stop. I am so mad at you right now. Ugh. Yeah, like, I I literally can't deal with Regina right now. Like, I'm sorry. Her fake indignation at Emma drives me up a fucking wall. Like, hey, lady, do you remember how you straight up murdered Graham? Because I fucking do. Fuck you, Regina. You Tasha Yard, my favorite character. Yeah, like, you know, Emma had said, like, you couldn't stand that things were getting better. And then, like, Regina's like, do you call Graham's death? better yeah, and i'm exactly. just like, it's like you, who's killing you're the one that killed him 
like every like nobody knows that like that like you congratulations you got away with it and it's just like i don't know like like is this put on like you know no absolutely not like she legit believes that like it's other people's like, well, look, look at what you made me do, Emma. Yeah, no, it's, she's still, she's that mem. She's that mem. The, yeah, which the, is my comment from last yeah. episode is like, he's like, I have self-respect now. And she's like, how could Emma Swan oh, do this to me? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, no, you okay. stupid bitch. You did all this. Yeah. You did this. It's to you. you. This you is you. She, yeah, Eric. this episode she makes me so fucking angry i can't even look at her yeah she is that she it really is that eric andre meme 100 percent. she's she's honestly intolerable in this episode yeah. yeah so we got to another scene emma is at the loft and raging to loud music whiskey and wrestling with a toaster when mary margaret gets home you show that toaster who's boss emma i love emma so much I mean, I do too, but like, she didn't buy that toaster. She's wrecking Mary Margaret's property. I know. That's true. Poor Mary like, Margaret. Oh, I didn't even think about that. She's living there rent free and destroying <laughs> Mary Margaret's things. That's probably a cute toaster, too. Of course it is. Everything Mary Margaret buys is cute. Aww. I know that, Emma, oh. but come on. She's grieving. She is. Destroy your own shit when you're grieving. She doesn't have shit. She has two boxes. Go buy shit and destroy it. <laughs> Emma is upset about losing her job, though claims she doesn't know why. She just knows she wants it back. Mary Margaret is pleased that she cares. Mr. Gold drops by with a copy of the town charter prepared to back Emma's claim to be sheriff. He tells her two people with a common goal can accomplish many things. Two people with a common enemy can accomplish even more. It's like a fucked up version of Aesop's Fables. He asks if she'd like a benefactor. He then tells her the town charter might mean the mayor is not quite as powerful as she seems. Benefactor is code for a wicked imp father. He may not give you a glass slipper or a coach made from a pumpkin, Emma, but Mr. Gold is sure as shit going to get you that job promotion by any means necessary. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin wakes his son in the middle of the night to run away in the hopes that Balefire will not be conscripted and taken to the war. Bay says that it feels wrong to run away, but Rumpel insists that it would be worse to go to war to die. An old beggar asks for alms, which Rumpelstiltskin gives despite his own destitution. Father and son is caught by a group of soldiers led by the odious Hordor. The knight taunts father and son, telling Balefire that his father also ran from battle and that all the other men were killed, end quote. He returned home to a wife who couldn't bear the sight of him, end quote. Cordor explains it's treason to avoid service and calls for his men to take the boy. Rumpelstiltskin begs for leniency and the knight forces him to kiss his boot in front of his own son. He does and is kicked aside before the knight's right off laughing. The old beggar man who Rumpel had give alms to comes along to assist Rumpelstiltskin back home, telling him that he'll find a way to be his benefactor for some food. This scene is so painful. It hurts me every time that I've ever watched it. It's such a poignant example of toxic masculinity with like the knights and shit. Yeah. They're just god awful. It is very important to note here uh, that this episode came out before the slang Bay was really popular. So when Bay became like the go-to hip word for significant other, like I just literally always pictured people talking about this sad child and pretty much always read it in text as as in Rumpelstiltskin's voice. So I'd always yeah. be like, Bay. I, it's funny because they, I think they actually came out kind of 
like this came out first right and then very very shortly after very shortly after because i remember when i was watching once upon a time pretty much live on tumblr there was a whole group of people on tumblr that whenever people would be like me in the bay would just post confused bale fire pictures yes Yes. i remember that Yeah, because they just be like the bay question mark <laughs> right and I was like did this start it like what happened like how did that start I don't know I'd have to like go to know your meme or something to like figure out like where it actually originated from but like I like to assume it came from once upon a time <laughs> it all just originated with this sad child yeah. back in Storybrooke Regina is holding a press conference at her office to introduce Sydney Glass as the new sheriff Emma interrupts and explains the town charter requires an election if there is another candidate for sheriff. Emma announces that she is running. Regina says Sydney is running as well. I get that Sydney is in Regina's pocket and that's why she's picking him. But like, look at this poor Crandall. Don't make him be law enforcement. Don't make him learn gun safety. Don't make him learn how he has to brace to enter an active crime scene. Don't do this to him. He's soft. <laughs> Aww. I'm always going to be so bummed that John Carlo didn't have a major villain role in the show because just imagine he's yeah. so great. Oh, he he's has, phenomenal like, one line every in the villain scene he plays. He's, he's wonderful. Oh, he's, he's so, so cute good. in this scene though. He's really cute in this scene. He is. He's like preening. He's all like I'm I'm making my I'm making my bail happy. <laughs> and then she's like and then she just goes Sydney's running as well and he's just like oh, I, I, I am. <laughs> no he goes like i am i am it's like oh no i know he's such a puppy and i'm just like oh you are so sweet and you deserve so much better. he does sir. he deserves like, so much better. This to him. please don't make this poor man go into law enforcement he's <laughs> not he, he's, he's an editor this. he's a writer that he means is. Writer. sleeping in oh wait no journalism never mind he likes getting up really <laughs> stupid early but he still doesn't want to get called 4 a.m. to deal with a B&E. Mm-mm. Unless he can cover that B&E and is, is from a safe, safe from distance a with safe a distance. camera. Yeah. Also, I think we got a great shot of Regina's office in the scene. And I just want to say again how much I love the decor of her office. It's basically an evil queen costume as a whole room. And it's yeah. just, I think it's one of the best set pieces on Once Upon a Time. It really is. Yeah, it's I think. It's very pleasing. I think this and Granny's Diner, which I, I truly do love, Mr. Gold's yeah. Pawn Shop, They're all re- those are all like really amazing sets. Really amazing sets. Yeah, they're definitely the most character in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mary Margaret's Classroom. So say and Mary Margaret's Classroom because that has like the little like Enchanted Forest vibe to it. Yeah. In the Enchanted Forest, the old beggar tells Rumpelstiltskin he needs to choose a different path. Rumpel says the only choice he has as the town coward is in which corner to hide in. He says, the only thing he has is his boy and they're gonna take him away from me. When that happens, he will truly become dust. The beggar man tells Rumpelstiltskin that he ought to steal the mystical dagger which keeps the dark one in thrall to the Duke of the Frontlands and keep him as a slave. Rumpel says he would be too terrified to make someone a thrall. The beggar then suggests that instead of controlling the power, Rumpelstiltskin should take the power for himself. In this scene, the old man looks like a bootleg John Malkovich, but only in this scene. The rest of the episode, he doesn't, and I don't understand, but in this scene, I was like, it's bootleg John Malkovich, and the next time he shows up, and I was like, this man looks nothing like John Malkovich. What was I thinking? You're not going to tell, you're not going to tell the, the internet about my very funny comment. Oh my God. <laughs> 
So I pointed this out to Lynn while we were watching it. And I was like, what is that guy in? He looks so familiar. She turns to me and says, oh, he's from the full Monty. You're fucking kidding me. I was talking about Oh, you were talking about Robert Carlyle. Robert I, was Carlyle. Like, <laughs> I was like, I just glared at him. Yeah, but it took you a minute. <laughs> Me like, a minute. I was like, wait, what? Like, is he one of them? Like, I mean, it's been, it's pretty much been 20 years since I've seen the full Monty, so. Oh, no, I was full talking about Robert Carlyle. I was being <laughs> a piece of shit because that's what I do to my fiance. You know, like when I convinced you that El Chupacabra was a benevolent Christmas spirit. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't understand because I know <laughs> the basic lore, so I was like, what are you talking about? But you clearly know more than me, so I guess no i just had her going since i you know actually am mexican i had her convinced. she really drives things home she's just straight face tells me lies and i'm very gullible i i i had i had a very compelling story about how chupi was a very important part of navidad and he brought joy to all the young children oh i'm sure he did he sucked dry all their goats like just like a krampus thing i don't know no, Chupi is a kind and benevolent friend. <laughs> she believed me for like a solid 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we love you, Elisa. <laughs> Do we need an IMDb break? And his name is Brad Dorif. Uh, he is best known as Billy Bibbit from When Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest when he was a young man. And he is, I think, most notably known as Wormtongue from The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And then I think briefly in The Return of the King. He was also in the original David Lynch Dune as Peter DeVries. Good Lord, he's yeah. in so much Damn. shit. No wonder I recognized him. It's Wormtongue. Wormtongue. Wormtongue, yes. And he kind of played like a Wormtongue sort of, you know, sort of a yeah. character here. Absolutely. So hats off to him. Oh, he was he was uh, in Deadwood as Doc Cochran. Man, I'm I'm real sorry I called you bootleg John Malkovich, sir. You're you're your own great actor. I apologize. <laughs> He's like constantly doing kind of like this once upon a time stuff, like as in like a uh, guest star, you know? Yeah. Like he is he is like series guest star constantly. He's the voice of Chucky. No, I'm not okay no. with that. I'm not okay no, with that. You. I I know Chucky. <laughs> He was in Star Trek Voyager as crewman Lon Sutter. Oh, I guess so. I mean, Child's Play, Child's Play 2. There it is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going down. So he was in The oh. Exorcist 3. Yeah, I, 3, huh? He was in Blue Velvet. Holy shit. Oh, my God. When did Child's Play first come out? I thought it was 19... 19- it never came out. Those movies never existed. And I haven't been scared of them because of a commercial I saw as a child. And I was very, very young for my whole life. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's him. He is well, the voice I mean, of Chucky. Wow. If you want to feel even worse, Elisa, in the new movies, Mark Hamill voices him. No. Oh, don't, don't tell her that. My sweet babe. <laughs> My babe, Mark Hamill. I love Mark Hamill. Wow, this guy is a legend. This dude is going strong. Good yeah. for him. Good for him. Like, I mean, this must have been like a big deal for like some of like the casting crew and stuff to have have this dude on set and stuff you know oh yeah this episode is brought to you by paramount plus 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. In present-day Storybrooke, Regina visits Mr. Gold and they snipe back and forth about his fine print reading of the charter. She says he's trifling with technicalities. Regina tells Mr. Gold he's backing a slow horse in this race, but Mr. Gold warns she shouldn't underestimate someone who is acting for their child. Regina insists that Henry is not Emma's child, not legally, she adds for emphasis. Mr. Gold asks, now who's trifling with technicalities? Mr. Gold sees right through your shit, Regina. Also, He's a dad. You're picking all the wrong fights with this man. She does not know that he's a dad. Doesn't she, though? No. Isn't supposedly Regina the one who knows what's going on with the curse? Oh, wait, she met him afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No one no one knows about Bay. Yeah. I mean, regardless of that, this bitch Peter isn't Bay. doing herself any favors being all like taking someone's child away from them. Like he's not he's not going to be warm to you if you're taking that angle. Sure. Gushing about set dressing again, I noticed this time that there's old school Scandinavian trolls sitting on like the shelf behind Mr. Gold while he's talking to Regina in the scene. Real A plus set dressing there. I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. That's cool. Yeah. Emma finds Henry at Granny's Diner reading the Storybrooke Daily Mirror. The headline from the story written by Sydney exposes that Emma gave birth to her son while she was in jail. I mean, what little boy wouldn't think being born in jail is metal as fuck? Think of your street cred, Henry. (laughs) Incredulous, Emma says those records are supposed to be sealed. Emma hopes that Henry is not scarred for life. He assures her that he isn't, at least not by this revelation. Henry, I know. (laughs) That was such a good line and a good delivery too. He's like, no, not from this. (laughs) The absolute just 10 yard haunted stare as he says it. Henry. Just like, oh no, oh no, sweet baby. Henry reminds her that good can't be evil because Regina fights dirty. When Emma mentions Mr. Gold's health, Henry warns his biological mother that Mr. Gold is even worse than Regina. He warns her not to owe Mr. Gold any more favors. Henry must be going purely on Mr. Gold's reputation since he still does not know that Mr. Gold is Rumpelstiltskin. At least I don't think he does. As far as we know, he doesn't. The last time it came up was just him being like, do you know who he is? And Emma being like, "Uh, yeah. And he goes, really? Because I haven't figured it out yet. I guess he only figured out who Ashley was just by like, heard the details of her life. Yeah, yeah but, I like like because she had some like obvious oh, because, like this would point to Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, it was because of the stepsisters and stepmother. That's what pointed. Yeah. pointed and him he was to like, it. and she's a maid. Although yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of that episode, Henry figured out that Mr. Gold was Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been. I would have been surprised either. But what what would have surprised me is if he'd figured it out and stayed silent about it. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I feel like if he had come to that revelation, he would have been like, Emma! <laughs> Emma, that's Rebel Stillskin. I know yeah, who he I is! Think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he's just so excited whenever he figures something out in the book and he has to share it with his mom, which is really, really precious. Yeah. But that's why I think he hasn't figured it out yet because Emma would know if he knew. That's That's what I figured as well. Yeah, so, um, and I don't know which episode henry figures that out in so 
I'm not no, sure. I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember. It will be a delightful surprise to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> but Emma is so sweet with Henry this episode. And especially in this scene, you're just like, oh, Emma, you're trying so hard. Yeah, agree. Emma confronts Regina about the article, claiming that her concerns do not lie in the truth coming out, but that the constant war waged between Henry's two mothers is causing him to feel hopeless and depressed. Hashtag Henry has two moms. Regina cavalierly insists that she did nothing wrong. As they're walking out of town hall, where there are wet paint signs all around, an exit door blasts open with a fire raging behind it. A scaffolding lands on Regina's legs, rendering her too injured to flee without Emma's assistance. Emma freezes for a moment while looking at the fire. Emma is totally debating how pissed Henry will be if she ditches Regina and lets her go up like a Salem witch trial. Oh yeah, you can see like the active face journey she has of like, what if I just leave her ass here? (laughs) This will solve so many problems. (laughs) This could make life a lot better for me. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Rumpelstiltskin and Belfire prepare torches as Rumpelstiltskin explains to his son his plan to steal the magic dagger and take the Dark One's power for himself. He vows to use this power not only to save his own son, but all the children of the Frontlands. Hesitant to break the law, Balefire wonders if he should just comply and fight. Rumpel tells him it's not a fight, it's a sacrifice. He points to the sky in the distance, a sickening crimson, and says that it is not the red of fire, but the blood of their people, of children. Balefire realizes that the soldier Hordor spoke the truth about Rumpelstiltskin running from battle. Bay inquires if his mother is really dead, as Rumpel had told him, or if she left him, as Hordor suggested. Rumpel quietly insists that she is dead. After a moment to process, Bay asks to know his father's plan. Rumpelstiltskin says the Duke's castle is made of stone, but the floors and rafters are made of wood, and wood burns. The law doesn't want you to fight, the law wants you to die. What a brilliant fucking line. I love it. Bay in this scene is just like, all this talk of murdering evil wizard is not the solution I would have gone with for this problem. Like this child, this child has has fears. I don't think that Bay knows that like murder is part of that process. Yeah, it's just more like a vague, take the power for myself. Oh no, he straight up says I... I could kill him and take his power. Oh, yeah. I don't think he did. He does. No, he straight up says that. And you actually watch the, like, alarm just flosh over this child's face. Oh, I thought he just said, and take the power for myself. Oh, no. He's like, I can kill him and take the power for himself. Can you imagine me with that power? And Bay's just kind of like, ah. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh Um, these are going badly for me today. (laughs) (laughs) And it's my birthday tomorrow. My first birthday in the history of the world. Yeah, my 14th birthday sucked too. Don't worry. (laughs) It gets better, Bay. Why can't Papa just take me to Chuck E. Cheese like normal kids? Everyone else got a Chuck E. Cheese party and I just get murder plots. Oh, I just have bring to have my castle. dad murder somebody or I get murdered and this is just too much pressure for me. I haven't even hit puberty yet. What the hell? <laughs> Back at Storybrooke Town Hall, Emma steps away. Regina incredulously suggests Emma is going to leave her. Instead, Emma grabs a fire extinguisher and puts the flames down just enough to pull Regina up and get them both to safety. Outside, Regina says because the firefighters have arrived, they weren't really in danger. Emma starts to say, next time I'll just, but stops herself and says next time she'll do the same thing. And again, the time after that, because that's what the decent, because that's what decent people do. She huffs off. 
Sydney comes and takes a picture of Regina on a stretcher, calling her the victim. Regina tells him he's going to hand the election to Emma. I feel so awful for Sydney. I really do. Poor Sydney. He's like, he's just such a cute dweeb. Please just let him be soft and take pictures. For fuck's sake, Regina. Sydney going, but it's the news was honestly really cute. He's adorable. <laughs> he's adorable and she's so god awful. Uh, she's awful to him. Like, Regina, just stop. Archie, Mary, Margaret, Granny, Lucas, and Ruby stand around Emma, amazed that she saved Regina, before getting inspired to make campaign posters. Just as Emma proudly tells Henry that they don't have to fight dirty, she spies a sheepskin rag in the scorched debris. We cut to Mr. Gold in his shop, polishing his lovely fingers, when Emma storms in, slamming the door and causing the bell above to violently jingle. Mr. Gold remarks, I do hope you're not going to break my little bell, which makes me want to weep and giggle. Teehee. Dirty, sexy rumble. Anyway, Emma accuses him of setting the fire, which he initially scoffs at, but she refuses to be deterred. He says that were he to have set the fire, it would be because Emma needed a boost to sway public opinion, such as being the hero in a fire. Emma tells him she's not willing to use such tactics to win her election. He warns her to think of what she'll be giving up and who she might be disappointing were she to expose him. I love every single Emma and Gold scene. These two are the real equals when it comes to sparring, but they are far more alike than the other would ever admit. Like they're two sides of the same coin. There are a lot of comparisons between the duality of Regina and Rumpelstiltskin or Regina and Emma, but to me, it's all about Gold and Emma. He's like her corrupted fairy godmother, only a chaotic, neutral, wicked imp father. I love their dynamic so much. It's like, oh, my princess goddaughter is in a competition. I shall kill the competition. I love it. The glare that Emma gives Mr. Gold as she leaves the store is so good. It's just like, hmm, hmm. Because Emma has the best grump face ever. She is uh. like if Grumpy Cat put on a blonde wig and became a person. <laughs> It is. I love her. Yes. I mean, these two are both very scrappy people who have had to scrap by in life and really fight like tooth and nail for everything. They're two alley cats. Yeah, they are. They really are. They are two alley cats. And like I said, like there's a lot of comparison with like Regina, like between, you know, between both of these characters. But Regina has lived in pampered privilege her entire life. So, you know, she doesn't know like this kind of like street smart level of scrappiness. Oh, it's true. Whereas these two really have both had to scrap for like everything they have. Yeah. And I think that's why like Mr. Gold is also, I guess you could say a little bit more patient with Emma, like when he does like, and he's more willing to like fight dirty and shit like on her behalf because he, he it's, it's almost like he's like, and I'm not saying, I'm not justifying this, but it's like, he's almost like, I'm teaching her a lesson. <laughs> I'm, I'm teaching her by example of how to get things done, you know? In some, in some ways, it's almost like he's like, I'm going to be the father you never necessarily wanted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As I said, like, you know, she, he, he killed like a, you know, he had a, he had a thing out for killing all the fairies and especially the fairy godmothers of the Enchanted Forest. So you know, he, he kind of filled that role for some of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Returning to the Enchanted Forest, Rumpelstiltskin and his son set a pile of dried hay ablaze outside of the Duke's castle. And it weirdly sets the whole place on fire, despite us only seeing them light that one paltry pile of hay on fire. Whatever. Rumpel walks through the flames and grabs the Chris dagger off the wall, where it was hidden behind a large banner. 
there is absolutely no one around guarding this incredibly powerful artifact and the audience is sus of the whole fucking thing. Well, why the would fuck they did- need anyone to guard it? They have that clever tapestry over it. <laughs> That's good enough. That's great. <laughs> like, I, I have to assume, like, the audience has to assume that there was more to the conversation between the old beggar and Rumpelstiltskin that like we just didn't hear or whatever because otherwise how the fuck would he have known where the dagger was right so he must have like told him where where like he had to give it him better instructions than what we saw yeah he really gave him nothing to work off of from the (laughs) conversation we saw yeah exactly and that's kind of like one of the frustrating things about i think especially once upon a time because i was going to say tv in general because it is like lazy tv writing but you have to like you have to fill in the gaps um and it's like they casually forget that like um there is an audience and when you just cut to something that like should not be general knowledge like where to hide a, an incredibly powerful artifact that contains yeah. like the essence of a dark entity yeah i'd probably be wise to like keep that scene in of like one person a telling person b where it is yeah i think enchanted forest scenes more often than not i I, they never quite give you enough i and i i want to believe that they did that deliberately because of all of the um additional flashbacks we will get over the seasons but part of me also just wants to believe that it's just lazy writing I think it is because as far as I remember, even though we're going to get a lot of flashbacks, I don't remember we were ever getting a flashback that covers, hey, here's what you need to go through to get the dagger. Yeah, exactly. No, we never get that. We return to Storybrooke on the day of the sheriff's election debate. Mary Margaret sees David while she is putting up flyers for Emma. She makes polite small talk where David reveals he works at the animal shelter. He's putting posters up for Sydney because his wife is friends with Regina. He says Catherine is coming to meet him soon, prompting Mary Margaret to nope right the fuck out of there. Poor Mary Margaret in this scene. She's just like, David, you're so dumb and cute. I'm just going to aggressively staple because I can't look at you and your dumb pretty face and your stupid little hat. (laughs) Uh, It's true. It's the angriest staple. It's the angriest stapling. Like, I was like, David, you might want to take a step back before she turns that thing on you. There's a great deleted scene that extends this, um, and it's Henry has come up and he has made his own little posters where he <laughs> he photoshopped um, Emma's face on a firefighter, like <laughs> carrying oh, no. out a woman like uh, out of like a burning building, but then like Regina like stomps over to him. Uh, and he, he just like sh- like drops the flyers and as she like drags him away. <laughs> That's oh, I'm so sad. I'm so upset that got cut out. That's I'm that really upset amazing. that it got cut out too. I know. Oh Henry, my That's sweet charming. Henry. It was really sweet. He's just He's- the cutest little thing. God bless him. At the town hall, Emma is nervous before the debate and tells Mary Margaret she fears she isn't going to win because Regina plays dirty. She wants to show Henry that good can actually win. She's worried she'll have no part in his life if she's not the hero or the savior. Mary Margaret and Emma just have the softest, most genuine moments, and I just love them so much. Me too. My notes for the scene were basically just like, I like ladies when they talk. They pretty, but like, and, and the all, clearest things you've ever said. But all, honestly, like, uh, they have such a such a lovely little dynamic together, and they just. Do. 
I, I love the mom-daughter talks so much. And also in the background of all of this, Archie practicing his speech was just so cute. And I, so I cute. generally got so excited seeing him in the background. I was like, oh, Archie's here. Precious, sweet little Archie. <laughs> Back in the Enchanted Forest, Rumpelstiltskin tells his son to go home and wait for him. Bay says he has a bad feeling, but Rumpel sends him on his way. After Bay is gone, Rumpel holds up the dagger and summons Zozo. Zozo is a silly name. It is. It's a very silly name. The name of the Dark One, which is inscribed on the blade of the dagger. Zozo appears and warns Rumpelstiltskin to wield his power wisely. Rumpelstiltskin hesitates, and the Dark One begins to immediately antagonize him, questioning whether Balefire is really his own child at all, seeing that Bay, unlike his father, is not a coward and yearns to fight and die in glory. Enraged, Rumpelstiltskin stabs Zozo, whose dark presence fades, revealing uh, revealing Zozo as the old beggar. Zozo laughs at Rumpelstiltskin's folly, saying how his life was such a burden as magic always comes with a price. Oop, drink! In fact, down it, because that's the origin of this phrase. Rumpelstiltskin asks why Zozo chose him. Zozo replies that he knows how to recognize a desperate soul. After Zozo dies, Rumpelstiltskin pulls the dagger from Zozo's chest to see his own name now emblazoned on its blade. His skin begins to turn as the power begins to transfer to him. Aren't you glad you don't have to say the name Zozo one more time? Yeah, that's after this, you never have to say Zozo again. Uh, that's not true. No. You get so, a break? I get a break. I get a break. Yeah, <laughs> I do get a break, like several seasons worth of a break. Back in Storybrooke at the debate, Archie Hopper acts as moderator and urges voters to listen to their consciences before making a terrible dad joke. And then under his breath, he goes, crickets, which <laughs> was very punny and hilarious for me. Sydney steps up to give his opening statement, saying he wants to serve as a reflection. Reflection? Sydney? Really? Are you trying to be fucking cute? Is this a joke to you? Of honesty, neighborliness, and strength, the best qualities of Storybrooke. Regina is totally not mouthing those words. She clearly fed to him. Not at all. This scene is so punny. It really is. When she steps up to the podium, Emma acknowledges her troubled past and says everyone has overlooked it because of the hero thing. She then explains the fire was set up by Mr. Gold despite having zero evidence. She says the worst part is that she let everyone think it was real and she can't win that way. She apologizes as Mr. Gold slinks out of town hall. Regina grins smugly, of course. Later that evening at Granny's Diner, Emma is nursing a drink when Henry shows up and gives Emma one of the walkie-talkies for standing up to Mr. Gold. He says heroes stand up and expose people like Mr. Gold. I'd sure as shit would like to expose Mr. Gold. Anyway, Henry says he should never have given up Operation Cobra. Sydney and Regina show up to tell her she won the election in a close vote. Regina hands her the sheriff's badge. She tells Emma she didn't pick a great friend in Mr. Gold, but he makes a great enemy. Enjoy that. Regina, the only enemy Mr. Gold has in this town is you. <laughs> also, I don't think we talk enough about how consistently hot Ruby looks like in every scene, and we really should. Oh no, I made notes. <laughs> I love oh, no. her. I wish there was more Ruby always and forever. Cause damn, like anytime she walks into a scene, I'm just like, oh, hey girl. Hey girl. Yeah, hey girl, hey. <laughs> Looking so good, girl. What, what, she, what she's doing later. Be, be my wife. <laughs> I love the opening of the scene 
with Henry handing Emma the walkie-talkie, and he's just so proud of her, and it's it's so it's it's incredibly sweet. I also think it's a continuity error because didn't he ditch her at the castle? Oh, it is true. He did with the walkie-talkies hand hand. Damn, he, he did sadness. <laughs> he did sadness like slep away while Emma was just like sitting in the playground holding two walkie-talkies, being like, "Damn, I tried to, mom." It's true. Mom is hard. But we do know this is a boy who steals things. That's true. So he probably stole it from her bag at the like middle episode scene in the diner just for this moment. He's like, this is going to come in handy later. This this is a child with a long history of breaking and entering. (laughs) I mean, breaks and enter. he, He steals credit cards, steals your juice. I mean, yeah, he's Emma's kid. Yep. Returning to the enchanted forest of the past, the soldiers are taking away Balefire and joke over the fact that the villagers are sequestered in fear. Suddenly, one of the men is stabbed from behind. Cordor, the head knight, kneels down to acknowledge the Dark One's presence before recognizing Rumpelstiltskin, no longer lame, and his skin scaly. Balefire watches on, frightened and wondering what's happened to his papa, while Rumpelstiltskin announces himself as the new Dark One demanding fealty from Hordor as he proffers his boot for the soldier to kiss. Before Hordor can submit, Rumpelstiltskin grabs the man's head and twists it, breaking his neck, and proceeds to fatally stab the other three soldiers. Rumpelstiltskin is terrified and asks what has happened. You're safe, Bay, Rumpelstiltskin says in a very not reassuring voice. He asks Bay if he feels safe, to which Balefire confesses that he is actually frightened. Rumpelstiltskin declares that he is not. He is protecting what belongs to him and, quote, I'm not scared of anything. Rumpelstiltskin is my favorite character for many, many reasons, but this scene really hits home. I will be perfectly frank to the audience. I am someone who has been dependent on social services most of her adult life, a broken system that is rampant with classism and ableism and racism. If some beggar told me to go get me a mystical dagger that would grant me the power to eliminate like all my fears and give me the means to lift myself out of the system's clutches, I'd be all over it. I get it. I don't think there is a justification for ever condemning Rumpelstiltskin's choice to make a grab for magic power, ill-informed though he was. He is the OG desperate soul of this series. I just feel bad for this soft little Frodo Baggins looking child. He's like the Ralph Wiggum meme with the, (laughs) I'm in danger. In Storybrooke, Emma walks into her new office and spies Graham's jacket on the coat rack. Mr. Gold sneaks in to say he thought she would want it after all, scaring the absolute bejeebus out of her. Emma half-jokingly warns Mr. Gold that she's armed, which earns her his signature smirk. He says the whole thing was political theater and that no one was going to vote for her unless they gave her some extraordinary quality, that saving Regina's arse wasn't far enough. He says he knew she could win over the voters by showing she could stand up to him. I know how to recognize a desperate soul, he tells her. This should have been an episode where we did a shot every time someone said the episode title, except, you know, I like my liver. Agree. Add that to your drinking game. Emma asks why he orchestrated all of this. Mr. Gold reminds her of the deal they made some time back and that she owes him a favor. He says, now that you're sheriff, I'm sure we'll find some way for you to pay back what you owe me. As he walks out of her office, Mr. Gold gives Emma a gruff congratulations, leaving her to ponder after him. End credits. So I think this episode uh, was a good choice to follow episode seven, which is 
<laughs> a rough one, a rough one. Um, but not only in this one do we learn more about Mr. Gold, we also see Emma begin to accept the role of, of trying to save this town, or at least Henry, uh, you know, after this traumatic loss of Graham. And I think if I had it been marathoning season one the first time I watched it, um, if I had just been watching it normally as it came out, uh, I might have bowed out from the show after Graham's death like, like Lynn had done because of how, you know, disturbing that, that consent plot around it was. My cousin Ashley and I decided to keep going uh, on and went on to this episode, and it succeeded in drawing me back in. I think this one's a really solid one. Yeah, agree. I, I love this episode. It's heartbreaking on so many levels. You know, when we first see Rumpelstiltskin, he is a very frightening and unhinged character who whose alliance you're not terribly certain of like you know like what his goal is what his you know his end game ideas are to have this episode you know kind of you know thrown at us at this time I think was a really good idea because it could be too easy I think to dislike him and um and kind of write him off as just like some weirdo creepy villain but then we, you know, we get this episode and we're like, ah, oh, aha, uh-huh, the plot thickens, the game is afoot, you know? Well, and I also think in the light of the previous episode, following up with this one actually does a good job and not being like, maybe Rumpelstiltskin isn't the biggest evil here that we thought he was. Because like, yeah, absolutely. Fuck, look what Regina did. Because like, while I agree with everything you guys just said, the one qualm I do have with this episode is like, all of Regina's like weird false indignation. Yes. Like, it's awful. It's upsetting. It's awful. It's it, like, very upsetting. It honestly makes me sick to my stomach every time she's like, you think I'm not upset about Graham? I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually genuinely believe Mr. Gold, I don't want to say he, he wasn't friends with Graham, you know, by like, you know, in, in, a, in the sense that he's not really friends with anyone. Mm-hmm. But I, I, sure as shit don't ever believe that he had any animosity towards him i don't believe that he like had like anything but you know yeah they didn't have any bad blood yeah they had no bad bad blood blood. like he had no reason to like you know to dislike him and i and i thought it was very touching that he did save all those items you know from graham's apartment when he was cleaning it out and you know hand them to you know, Emma and like completely offered all of it to her, you know? It is. And I, I think it's also very interesting that like in one scene we have him being like, Emma, please take something. I, I know, I know that you cared about Graham. Yeah. And then we have Regina coming in and he's just kind of like, yeah, what do you want? Uh-huh. You're so sorry. He's dead. Oh yeah. He like, I mean, yeah, he absolutely he like, like, yeah, he knew exactly what was up and yeah. Like he turns on a dime between how soft he is with Emma and how like sad he knows she is. And then like Regina comes in with her crocodile tears and he's just like, do you fucking need something from me? Or are you just taking up room in my store? Their little snipe fest was, it was actually very satisfying because he just doesn't let her get away with shit. Yeah, no, which, it was great. Which is great because I mean, one of the things we definitely touched upon was the fact that it's like, she gets no comeuppance for this shit, like at all. Uh, and yeah. he seems to be like one of the only people who like just doesn't care. He isn't afraid of her. Mm-hmm. so yeah. like when she is like throwing around her bullshit he's just like cool I don't care it's really cathartic to watch um this one after the last one to watch Mr. Gold yeah because you're just yeah. kind of like yeah you tell her it's a great episode and we also have like this is our first introduction to Balefire who we who we all love Yay. who is our who is Ralph Wiggum meme and Dylan I think Dylan Schmidt like plays him 
like the young Balefire for a long time. I definitely in flashbacks in season three, it's the same kid. Yeah, excellent, excellent episode. Excellent, Mr. Gold. There's so many threats of exposing Mr. Gold and it doesn't happen and I'm real sad about it, but you know, that's okay. Well, it has to air in prime time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. All right, have costume. to be moved to Cinemax. Yeah. Speaking of threads. <laughs> Speaking of thread, yes, costumes. Oh, okay. Ace transitions. Ruby's non-waitress outfits in this episode are fucking stunning. Okay, so they after are. the fire at the town hall, she has these amazing red leather gloves on with like heart-shaped cutouts and a matching cropped leather jacket. Um, so and I want both of them. Like, I don't even really wear red, but... Uh, I'll take them in black. I'll take it in white. I'll take it in pink. Her post-debate outfit scene in Granny's Diner is also super lovely. It's like got these flouncy red sleeves with a slit running up them. I adore it. Yeah, she looks so good this episode. She's iconic. Absolutely. Style icon. Mm -hmm. And Mary Margaret's cute white cloche with matching white peacoat is something I would totally add to my wardrobe. Actually, because this, this episode takes place over a period of like hmm, i don't know four or five days um, like a week yeah like a week a we week. yeah exactly a business week <laughs> uh we got to see mr golden array of like sexy ties and splashes of colors with his dress shirts and hints of like rumpelstiltskin's old flair yeah i like the the dark pink i think that was the, the dark pink one. is really cool yeah, yeah. I, I really loved Emma's like respectable sheriff brown outfit for the debate it looked really good and you could see she was really trying to be like <laughs> I'm a respectable sheriff. I'm wearing sheriff colors. I'm in my gram colors. It was, I'm it was, an adult. It looked really, it looked really nice. It, it was it looked good. Yeah, I mean, as touched on, Mary Marker looks perfect because she always does. And Ruby, like I mentioned, is consistently hot and we really should talk about that more than we do. But like, wow, Emma sure owns a lot of see-through shirts. What is that about? So many see-through shirts. I, I think it's because Emma is in coats and jackets so much in the show that yeah, maybe they brought don't that up when I brought up yeah. the see-through shirts when we were watching it and I still pointed out okay but then she takes off the jacket and it's a see-through shirt I think that was like really big around this time well, it was pretty big in this time I know it was but still I can see your bra ma'am or maybe they're like they're like you know they're trying to like look worn out like like they've been you know worn for so long but then again look at her apartment in boston like way back like in, in really episode fancy. one yeah. that's a really swanky ass apartment i'm like that is no airbnb so. yeah and like look at like the dress and the heels she wears in the opening episode when she's conning the guy yeah like the girl can afford some nice clothes she just likes wearing shirts you can see through i guess so I mean, to each their own. Each their own. If I looked like Emma, she maybe I'd wear shirts you could see through. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Emma tries to save two children from foster care by trying to find their birth father, as flashbacks show the evil queen coercing Hansel and Gretel into stealing an important artifact from a blind witch. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is, there are no morals when it comes to the methods of the oppressed. You do you, even if that means absorbing an evil entity into your persons. You can find us on anchor.fm slash onceuponarewatch, on Twitter at onceuponrewatch, and at Tumblr at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. 
And remember, all pod devices come with a price. Porter explains it's Porter works. Porter. Oh my God, this guy's name is so stupid. It's Porter, the dumbest name. Like every Porter. time they said his name, I was like, I'm sorry, what? 